0: dive into real estate what are you waiting for welcome to the dive into real estate investing for newbies podcast where you will learn some of the newest strategies and simple techniques to get into real estate investing this podcast is about helping you take action and motivating you to dive into real estate for financial freedom now your host cecil rose all right, guys, welcome to another episode of Dive into Real Estate Investing for Newbies podcast. I have a very special guest on the show today. His name is Mark Willis. Uh, I'll just read a brief introduction about uh, Mark. Mark is a certified financial planner, a two time number one best selling author, the owner of Lake Grope Financial Services, a financial firm in Chicago, Illinois. Over the years, he has helped hundreds of his clients take back control of their financial future and build their businesses with proven tax efficient financial solutions. He specializes in building custom tailored financial strategies that are unknown to typical stock jockeys, attorneys, or other financial gurus, which I like. Sounds like he goes against all tradition. Uh, he's also a co host of Not Your Average Financial podcast, which I'm sure he'll share that at the end or towards the end. So welcome to the show, Mark. Appreciate you being hey. here.
1: Cecil, so so glad to be on, man. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah. So Mark, uh, tell us about your journey. You know, how did you get into uh, financial planning? Where did
1: this all start? Well, um, some people might ask, uh, you know, how did uh, Briar Rabbit get stuck in the tar? Because that's sort of how I got started in financial planning, you know? Right. Uh, we, got, we were mired in student loan debt. Is how I got started in finance. Uh, we graduated from our three private school degrees with tons of student loan debt in the midst of the Great Recession, and had just absolutely no plan to pay it off. It was, um, it was like every single night, every month was a stressful event um, to just cover the bills because we had this massive burden of a student loan payment that just would not go away. And we graduated with no real jobs, really, in the midst of the recession. So it, it was a great way to start our finances. Oh, by the way, we didn't keep a budget or really watch that. Uh, so mm-hmm. we really got got off on the right foot, you might say. But uh, my my wife was very patient and very um, long-suffering with my ignorance when it came to money. And eventually, and very, very abruptly, because bills came have this funny way of wanting to be paid every month. Um, So we pretty quickly realized this money thing wasn't going to fix itself. And so we studied and worked and began to really just feel around in the dark basically for what this money thing was. Uh, And finally stumbled across some strategies that made sense for us. I eventually started working for a uh, CPA doing some tax prep for her and uh, got to hear some pretty remarkable Phone calls she had with folks in the midst of the Great Recession, saying, "I'm sorry, Mr. Client, but I just lost you like your your like half your life savings." That was a couple of you know pretty devastating wow. phone calls, uh, and you know kind of came to a point, Cecil, quite honestly, where I was ready to be done with the financial profession and look for another type of work. Um, because I just didn't want to be building up these house of cards for folks, only mm-hmm. to watch them come tumbling down. So that's a little bit about my background. You might say I'm a post-recession planner. I ended up getting a CFP, Certified Financial Planner designation, and now, you know, uh, amidst Zoom and telephone, we work with clients all across the country to help build solvent, sane financial strategies uh, that can help people overcome financial challenges. And we particularly are focused on helping clients become their own banker and become their own source of financing to help them with their real estate ventures and more.
0: Right. Right.
1: So I think just like what you just
0: said about student loan debt, which I think that is maybe half of the U S um, even with uh, president elect Biden in office, who's trying to uh, uh, kind of postpone a lot of the, so mm-hmm. So now you're actually helping people uh, in this arena. So tell me like, um, you know, you hear a lot of people that they tell you, well, yeah, I got a financial planner. Then they ask the question, well, is he actually investing or is he actually doing the business? You know, almost like I talk about real estate, but am I really in the business doing real estate or am I just talking about it so you sound like a guy you know like with your intro it sounds like you are now i wouldn't say totally against but the traditional way of doing things you have taken everything you've learned and kind of just was like nah man i'm gonna do the opposite i'm gonna help people and tell us a little bit about that so after you uh was under somebody you learned and then you kind of ventured off into your own, like, how did you did you transition? Did you did you get teaching on that? Did, were you a coach or did somebody mentor you or what?
1: Well, it was a couple of light bulb moments. The, the first was just I I really respected the the wonderful CPA I worked for at the time. She did do great work. I think she was a great tax strategist, nationally recognized CPA, uh, but she had the main view, the oh so average view of financial planning. Put it all in the market defer your taxes, defer those problems into the future, hope and pray strategies uh, that the market will go up. uh, Because it always does, right, Cecil? It always does. right? Um, And uh, so it it just, it was a quick splash of cold water to the face. It was like being dropped into the front lines of a war uh, as I was just starting my financial profession in the midst of that recession. And now we're here in this one. uh, And it feels like we're doing this all over again. Now, in the last ninety days or so i've heard clients calling me saying, "Mark, this is like a slow train wreck happening to my business uh you know rent moratoriums on the real estate um, you know having trouble with paying the mortgage uh, on on your properties and and yet um we're seeing stock markets hitting record highs, so what's going on and and student loans being forgiven possibly. So what's going on with GameStop and so many more things that are happening in this market today? uh, It it just really is remarkable that we keep repeating the same thing. It's like Groundhog Day over and over again. We've had three major market crashes since the year 2000 with volatility not going away. That's for sure. We're not done with volatility yet. Uh, So as I looked into my future, both on a personal level, and as a profession, I asked myself, what kind of life do I want to live? And I realized uh, amidst some conversations with my wife and other people I care about, that where we kept our money would make us feel and act different. That it matters where your money lives, because when your money is in a certain something, it'll do different things. You know, a 401k Makes your money act different than a real estate property or a savings account or a hedge fund. It's just where your money lives makes it have different characteristics. And yes, real estate has a great place in the portfolio of ours and others. Uh, There's reasons to keep, I mean, there's a reason why real estate goes clear back to the pyramids as a place for the uh, very wealthy to preserve and grow their wealth. And yet there was some things that really troubled me. Again, in 2008, real estate was not having a good day (laughs) in 2008. So it got me looking for what do I want my money doing for me? And that's really what brought me to this strategy called bank on yourself. Uh, But before I get to that, um, I I just want to maybe let your uh, listeners in on on a question that was rattling around in my mind, which was, what do I want my money to do for me? And as I got my CFP training, uh, and even before that, uh, there was a kind of a short list of of characteristics that I wanted my cash to have. Uh, and I just kind of I was spitballing. I was like, okay, I don't even know if this is that, uh, possible. I don't know if this is even, you know, uh, available in any of the real financial products out here. But here's my wish list. Here's my dream list of what I want my money doing for me. I wanted to, to have a good competitive rate of return that would beat inflation. I want it to be accessible to me, not locked up for 30 years. I want it to have some sort of access uh, without taxes due or penalties to get my money out. I want it to be safe from creditors and people trying to sue me and predators and such, especially if you're going to do any kind of real estate. Super important to make sure that you're not exposing your cash to lawsuits and frivolous stuff like people slipping on a banana peel outside your rental property. If you know what I'm talking about, if you're in rentals, if you're in real estate, if you're a landlord, it's a matter of when, not if. So that was a big deal for me to protect that cash from that sort of nonsense. And oh, we could keep going. Um, You know, some sort of capacity to access the money and leverage it for more dollars. That was important to me. And you know, leave money to my family, income tax free, where it's not getting burdened with uh, income taxes when I pass away. That was kind of my checklist. Um, Any First of all, anything you'd add to that if that was your well, list? Let me, yeah, yeah. That's
0: that's that's good. So let me ask you something because I, I, I heard you um on a few or maybe wrote this. I was read or you may have spoke on it when I was listening to one of your uh you were talking about uh the 401k and you were saying how uh you know we look at things as deferred. You kind of mm-hmm. kind of elaborated on that but you also say that most people only made three and a half percent on they differ. Can you go more into that? Cause that was really puzzling to me to hear Mm -hmm. that.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, if you put, if you put a dollar into the stock market in 1900 today, if it grew and you didn't touch it, you'd have a return of 9.6% averaged over that many years, 120 years. Okay. So that's where everyone gets the statistic that the stock market goes up by 10% every year. Don't you know, you could just fall off a log, fall off your horse and make 10% in the market. You'd know, you be a fool not to invest in the market because you can do better than anywhere else. That's where we get that 10% statistic. Here's the trouble, Cecil. How many of us can put money into something and not touch it for 120 years?
0: A lot of, all right. A lot of,
1: yeah. <laughs> right. Right, Nobody. And how many people have a 401k where you just put all of the money in at once and then don't touch it even for 40 years. All right. It's usually your dollar cost averaging. You're putting it in deferring that 300 bucks a month from your paycheck or whatever. Right. 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 So, um, what kind of invest, you, you know, your listeners can ask themselves this question. I'm, I'd be curious your thoughts on this too. Are you know, as an investor, um, are you the kind of investor, Cecil, that likes to buy low and sell high? Of course. Or buy high and sell low, right? Which of one course. is better? <laughs> of course. Buy buy low, sell high. Of course. There you go. Now, um, if you've got a brokerage account or a 401k where you're putting money in every two weeks from that paycheck, and you think the market is high, which as of this recording, it's market highs right now, 31,000 uh, points on the Dow Jones, Market highs across the Nasdaq, the S and P 500, the Russell 2000. We are in record high territory right now as we're recording this. So why do we keep putting money into a market that's overheated? And then I'll ask clients, you know, do you believe taxes are going to go down or up over the future? And everybody I talk to, to a person believes over the long term, you know, I don't care who the president is, I don't care what this administration is talking about. I'm talking about over the next 20, 30, 50 years of our life, retirement, as long as it as long as you might live, if you believe taxes are going to go up in this country, then why do we defer a tax problem that will only be worse in the future? That's like putting off my root canal. Not right. a good idea. <laughs> right. right. So, um, so we have two compounding factors here taxes are looking like they're going to go up. So why would we defer our taxes in a 401k? And then second, nobody can do that dollar in 1900 to let it grow for 120 years. So the real results of equity fund investors, these are people who are putting money into index funds, target date funds, and just plain old stocks into their 401ks, IRAs, brokerage accounts. And over the last 30 years, this is third-party research, They're showing that the average guy and gal like you and me putting 300 bucks a week in or whatever, our real returns before taxes was only 3.9%. That's the real return of actual human beings in the market. 3.9%. Over 30 years, Cecil. So is that worth it? Is that worth the Corona madness of March 2020? Is that worth 2008? All over again—is that worth the, the tech bubble or whatever comes next? You know, because right. we're not done with market volatility. So oh, I'm off my soapbox there, but that's that's why I'm why, why people
0: why are yeah. we not hearing more about this? Because everybody is telling you to put it in your 401k or put it in your, uh, you know, and put it somewhere else. So what are yeah. some vehicles you would recommend? I know as uh, as real estate, we want to have multiple streams of income. But what are some other vehicles? And like you said, with the the tax deferred, it is deferred, but it's, it's only deferred. Eventually, you're going to have to still pay it. So yeah. where else can I park my money? And what, you know, what advice would you give to someone that's, you know, trying to at least continue to build their portfolio?
1: Well, you're I'll ask uh, answer your first question first. Uh, why? are we not hearing the truth about real returns? By the way, that study comes from Dalbar, third-party research, doesn't have a dog in the fight. They have an annual report called the Quantitative Analysis of Investor Behavior. Every year it comes out. So look up Dalbar, D-A-L-B-A-R, Google them. Um, But, uh, and they're one among many. There's another one by Morningstar that came out with similar results. But I think to answer your question, I mean, think about it this way, Cecil. If you ask a barber, if you need a haircut, you can bet what his answer is going to be. Hmm. Right. Even, even with a head like mine, you know, he's going to tell you to sit in that chair. So the same is true. If you're talking to a stock investor advisor, so somebody who's into stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and he or she gets compensated when you are fully invested, why would they tell you to put your money anywhere else? Okay. Uh, So, and they can correctly give you a false return. So I'll give this quick answer and then I'll move on to your other question. Um, So when they tell you that you have to risk money to make money, have you ever heard that phrase? You got to risk money to make money. Right. No, you don't. No, you don't. Where's that written? (laughs) You have to risk your money so they can make money. And here's why. The business model of any brokerage firm, investment house, 401k, outfit, they get an assets under management fee. That means... It's your assets under their management. All right. Mm. So that means whenever you have your money in your brokerage account and you start taking it out to put it somewhere else, they're getting a pay cut. Do you you like pay cuts? Because I don't. Nope. So They're going to invite you, compel you, and they're probably doing it with angelic intentions. Okay. I don't think they're trying to be malicious. You know, they're just brainwashed the same way I was. Um, to putting money into the market as the only and solid place where you can possibly ever find financial freedom. And that's just patently false. There's nothing written in stone that you got to put money in the market to reach your financial goals. You know, this with real estate, right? So to your other question, where can we put our cash? There's about 450 places you can park your money. (laughs) Uh, As far as I can tell, I I tried to keep up with it and I kind of lost count at that point. But, um, you know, that could be everything from annuities to savings accounts, to dynastic trusts, to, you know, REITs, to, you know, rental properties, to, you know, equity funds, it it all, all over the map. So again, where you keep your money makes it act different. I don't care what you call it. I care what it does. You know, I don't need to call it a putter. I just need my ball to go in that hole over there. So I just need the tool to act in the way I want it to so I can get the job done. And I think too many times we have bias around what the thing is called and our minds shut off before we learn and investigate. Um, Who was it who said, uh, it's not what Americans think they know, it's what they don't know, or it's what they know for sure that just ain't so. Yeah. So one of the very compelling places I've recently discovered that's become one of my favorite places to park cash and to let it do what I want it to do, what ticked all the boxes for me on my little wish list. Again, competitive growth, uh, liquid access to the money, tax-free access to the cash. Uh, The tax law says I want to get the money out tax-free. I can get it out tax-free. Be able to leave my family a legacy, be able to use it like a bank because I believe banking has the biggest uh, leverage point in my financial life. If I wanted to do all of those things, I'd need like 13 different financial products. I'd need a trust. I need a FDIC insured bank. I need some sort of Roth IRA just to do all of this. Or I could get a modernized form of dividend paying whole life insurance with massive early cash value. Now that's a mouthful. So we just call these policies um, bank on yourself type whole life policies. Okay. And of all things, Cecil, it lets me do everything I just listed for you. Not the old fashioned whole life, like Dave Ramsey talks about on his radio shows, but more modern, sleek, whole life insurance where the factors of cash value grow from month one, day one. Uh, And it becomes sort of a, really it's the hub of your financial life becomes sort of the financial management tool by which you can make your real estate purchases. You can send your kids to college. You can access the money as a tax-free income in retirement Uh, So it's just a tool that allows us to make the rest of our life sane, safe and secure and um, liquid and available for anything your life needs. Right. So
0: you mentioned, so it's not like the typical old fashioned whole life insurance. So it's more sleep. So there are people who have whole life insurance that probably don't know anything about this.
1: Oh, man, I bet, you know, the conversation we're having right now, I bet you. 95% 95% of insurance agents don't know that this exists. And for sure, 95 plus percent of financial advisors don't understand or know that this, this exists. It's a very unique type of dividend paying whole life insurance. There's a lot of other kinds of life insurance. Everybody knows about term insurance. That's just kind of like renting, you know? So this is right. just a little bit different than that.
0: Right, right. So for whole life um does the interest accrued over time depending on how much you put in there? Or is it uh, you kind of just, can you control it depending on how you want it to work for you?
1: I'll give you um, in as short a time as I can, I'll try to give you the four key basics to this strategy. And I've, I've um, figured out that it can even be a nice Cause I grew up in church and there was always those nice acronyms that preacher would always give out these nice little, uh, <laughs> you know, mnemonics or whatever. So it's TGIF. Are you ready? Uh, the first one is, uh, it's tax free access to the cash. I love free. that. Yeah. It's like a Roth IRA without any government restrictions and under current law, you can get access to both principles, principle. And if we do it right, we can get access to the gains in the policy with no taxes due. So that's T. Okay. Second, G, gains are both you know, guaranteed and locked in. So that means every year you're going to see your net worth appreciate inside this contract on a guaranteed basis. It's not my guarantee. It's the guarantee of the insurance company that's been around for 100 plus years paying out those guarantees. That's pretty cool. Hmm. But what I like about it too is what I earned last year is locked in this year. Now, everybody loved how GameStop went up. You guys heard about GameStop, right? Cecil, you heard about GameStop in the news. Went up by like 1,000%. Well, guess what? It dropped by (laughs) 1,000%. That quick. Yeah, two weeks. Yeah. So, you know, you can gain and lose a lot on paper. And it doesn't matter what your house is worth, your rentals are worth, or your GameStop is worth on paper. What matters is what somebody's willing to pay you for it. You know, right. you, you're a master at the short sale. It's what you come to closing with that really counts, right? right. Um, so, so it's all about the guarantees that are locked in. Every year I get some money, it's locked in and guaranteed for the rest of my life, including dividends. Once those are received, those are mine. Can't take them away from me. It's not like Tesla stock that goes up and then down just because Elon smoked something on a podcast.
0: All right. right?
1: So um, <laughs> that's, the, that's the second piece is it's guaranteed and locked in every single year third piece, it is life insurance. At the end of the day, this is a life insurance contract. So I stands for insurance. And that means I'm going to leave my family more than I could ever save for them in this policy. If I put a dollar into my savings account and die tonight, my family's getting $1. Hopefully mm-hmm. a lot more than that, but you get my picture. Right, right. If I put a dollar into my life insurance policy today and die tonight, my family's getting you know, depending on your age, it might be $7, $14, you know, it just comes down to your age and health, but that's more than I could ever save for them. So that's an incredible gift for my family. Uh, Finally, lastly, but maybe most profoundly financing, you know, banking is the biggest problem I see with most real estate investors, Hmm. especially those who are just getting started. So if you need access to capital and banks stop lending, like they're pretty happy to do when times get tough. I mean, when are banks least likely to give us cash? It's when we need it. So banking is is a process that you can bring in-house. You can in-house your banking. Uh, I would say don't outsource your banking because they're going to profit from your back. You know, the average American spends a third of their life just servicing debt. A third of your income, according to the Department of Labor, goes to servicing debt. But if you can bring that debt in-house, now all of a sudden you can profit from your purchases, you can actually use your policy. So the life insurance policy has a loan feature, where I'm able to access the cash value via a loan, and go buy my stuff, my real estate, my car, send my girls to college, whatever it is. And my policy, phenomenally, will continue to grow on the entire cash value, Cecil, even the amount I borrowed out. So if I've got 100 grand of cash value, and I borrow out thirty grand to go buy a real estate deal or something, that year uh, and every year while the loan is outstanding, my policy will grow on that $100,000 as if I had not touched the money. Wow. Man, this
0: is almost better than 401k, all these other products you don't even hear about. I had one guy telling me about a, a, a qualified retirement plan. Um, mm mm-hmm. This was years ago. And I wind yeah. up signing. I wind up signing for that. But I it was me. I didn't keep keep up with it. But, um, you know, it's it, it, I, these products, you you just don't know about them, you know, because mm-hmm. um, I've always been told, well, just get term. Should you get term and whole life or have both or just have whole life, you know, which one mm-hmm. is is good,
1: you know. I mean, that's going to be every person's situation. I I just got off the phone with someone who's doing a whole life policy and a term policy because that's what he could afford. And he wants to make sure his family has enough coverage if he passes and he's not quite ready to get a, a whole life policy big enough to do all that. So when you're doing term insurance, it's like renting. So you want to pay as little as possible for your term insurance policy. When you rent, you don't want to throw extra money. Nobody um, has velocity banking on their rent. <laughs> when, they're, when they're renting an right. apartment, they're not, they're not trying to overpay their rent, right? right? Nobody overpays their rent. But when you own a, pl- a property, when you're the owner, overpaying on your house can oftentimes be a fun strategy to build up more wealth and more equity in your home. Right. Uh, so it's just like that with whole life insurance. When you overfund your policy, you're encouraged to pack a lot of money in there, but there's great reasons to have term insurance. You know, I don't see it as a. There's no right or wrong. There it comes down to individual circumstance.
0: So, as a as a real estate investor, like, what have you seen? I guess with most of your clients that are in real estate, like, um, what would you advise them? Like, what what uh, vehicle? Would they, oh, it all depends on where they're at. Like if they have several rental properties, like uh, what would they do as far as tax shelters with that? You know, what would you tell them? And they want to pull money out and buy more properties. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's one of the big key pieces of the puzzle for a lot of our clients who are in real estate. I'd say a good chunk of the people I've had the privilege of working with, maybe over half are either in real estate or own a business And what I've noticed, especially this year, especially the last six months or so, people need access to capital and Mm -hmm. we're thirsty for it. I mean, that's why the government's handing it out like water. Uh, Now, I I will suppose and I'm starting to see some of the kind of the negative shadow effects of all this free money that's been handed out to everybody. Uh, So I, again, would prefer to just bank on myself and let my business Bank on me rather than on a government or, you know, an outside lender. I just think that, you know, I, and in your case, you know more about what's best for you than an outside entity like a bank or a government. So that's my prerogative, I guess, or my bias. Uh, But for a lot of our clients who are real estate investors, they are oftentimes using their life insurance policy as a line of credit to their business. And that might be uh, fixing up their. Uh, HVAC that you know that blows in the summertime. Fixing that, uh, he, he, you know air conditioner. It, and again, is that better than just paying cash? You bet. Here's yeah. why. When I pay cash, let's say the uh, air conditioner was ten grand. I don't know if you know that's reasonable or not, but let's just say it was a ten thousand dollar purchase to fix up an air uh, air conditioner for a couple of apartments. Now I'm out the ten grand. But at least I paid cash, right? At least I feel good that I don't have a bank loan. But really, what was the cost of that air conditioner? The the sticker price says 10,000 bucks. That's the delivery and installation, 10 grand, right? But truly, Cecil, it's whatever $10,000 would have grown to had I not bought that air conditioner and left the money invested. So (laughs) the trouble is I pay cash, I'm losing the growth. It's opportunity cost to pay cash. So I finance things, whether I pay cash or use a bank. But when I use my policy, again, if I borrow against the policy and and go in and pay cash for that air conditioner, my air conditioner is doing its job at the apartment building and it's working and renters are paying it. Um, But my policy continues to earn interest and dividends, even on the capital, even on the $10,000 that I had pulled out to go buy that air conditioner. So that's one very simple way to do it. I mean, but you could extrapolate this to paying your property taxes out of the policy or down payments, very common. Or if you'd like, you could even do full cash purchases. Like if you're doing a short sale or something, you have cash in your policy and everybody else is having to beg their banker uh, to get some money. Boy, you're going to have a competitive advantage when it's time to close. You got, you walk in, you know, three days after you request the money out of your policy, it's directly deposited into your bank account. You walk in and you're the cash buyer you know, on the courthouse steps or whatever, you're going to be the guy that gets that deal, and then you can flip it or rent it out or whatever you choose to do with the cash. Right, right. Um, so let let me ask you this: on being an
0: entrepreneur like you, so when you left and you started your business, um, how how like do a lot of your clients are they keeping up with they as far as being a real estate? investor how are they keeping up with a lot of the numbers how are they organizing it like um what are some things that you would recommend to somebody that trying to keep up with all this because obviously being a financial planner in your position it's a lot and I know in real estate we have things called KPIs keep key point indicators mm-hmm. where we gotta mm-hmm. know what we and I'm still learning that I still I'm still trying to get that down to a T yeah. So yep. um, as a financial planner, what is it some things that uh, you have uh, work has worked for you and your clients?
1: You're right. Um, what you measure improves. And so you have to really pay attention to what you're measuring. In fact, uh, what you pay attention to will typically appreciate. So if you watch the wrong thing, you will lose the opportunity to grow your business. So if the KPI is not the right one, uh, if you're watching the wrong thing, uh, then it, like you know, if you're watching the the rattle on the rattlesnake, that's not the thing to be paying attention to, right? It's right. those fangs that you should be watching out for. Right. So it's all about what you're paying attention to that really matters. So to answer your question, just in general, again, you want a you want a place for your money to live. You want some sort of reserve. A lot of people use a system and a philosophy where you're able to automatically and non-emotionally wash the profits into your system. And a lot of people use profit first. That's a pretty awesome strategy, tool, philosophy, where it's just allocating all your rent money to this, that, and the other thing, uh, including profits. And a lot of our clients actually use that profit first system to fund these whole life bank on yourself designed whole life policies. That's Mm. where they keep their warehouse of wealth and their profit account. uh, And that's how they fund their policies. So their taxes, their owner's account, their owner's draw, their profit uh, that goes into policies. And, you know, there's target allocation percentages off that book. And if folks have not heard of the book profit first, I'd recommend check that out. Uh, We do have two advisors in our firm who are profit first professionals and certified with profit first. So if you want your real estate business to have a philosophy and a system where just automatically you're profitable from the very next rent check you get or the next flip you do, then use profit first. And if you want to chat with a professional who can help get that set up for you, reach out to our firm. We'll get you connected to Brandon or Amanda or any of the other folks that are profit first certified. So that's where I'd start Cecil.
0: Okay. Well, look, uh, Mark, we are kind of coming to the end. So actually I wanted to know, um, first, yes. How can an audience get a hold of you? I know you mentioned some things which I'll put in the show notes. That's the first thing. And also, are there any books you can probably recommend to the audience that you maybe read now or have read that, uh, would be beneficial?
1: Yeah, I'd say the, you know, the right, Right spot is just going to our website, which is lg.subscribemenow.com. So it's L as in lake, G as in growth, lg.subscribemenow.com. If you go there, you can find our YouTube page, our podcast, which we put out every week. We even have a membership site where you can meet me and other members of our clients doing this in real estate and more. 300 plus members as of this recording. Uh, on there and we just started it. So we're having a ton of fun building a real revolution of people who are thinking different about money and their economy and their future. So check us out there at uh, lg.subscribemenow.com. As far as books go, if you want one book on this topic, uh, check out The Bank on Yourself Revolution by Pamela Yellen. That's probably the best one, I'd say, that answers more questions than I could on a podcast, that's for sure. It talks about the negatives and downsides to using this strategy as well, which, you know, we didn't have a chance to get into today, but I'll just mention, you know, guys don't do this, you know, just because you heard it on a podcast. You want to check this out from, you know, somebody that can design this and think well with you about whether this is a good fit for you or not.
0: Right. Well, look, uh, Mark, let let us, uh, this show is about diving into real estate investing for newbies. So if a person was getting into real estate or even into this financial space, space which of course they would need financial advice how would what would you say to them just getting into this this space of real estate and trying to get started i mean how would what would you recommend i know there's so much stuff content out there on social media but from you what would you say would be a good place to start
1: you know uh, it is a big universe in fact that's what i would say there's no one thing that you should know to do. That's this that's the mystery of marriage, it's the mystery of faith. If you're a person of faith, it's not like if you just do your quiet time, you're automatically, you know, going to be a spiritual person, right? right. Uh right. so it's it's never a one thing uh project, but I will say this. Um pick one area and stick to it. Don't chase the shiny objects, you know? If you're going to be a um, buy and hold renter, uh, rent rental investor, a buy and hold rental investor. Then that's and, and you're going to focus on three flats, and you're going to focus on you know middle market, you know B B class. Then that is your maybe that is your only focus. Filter and niche down. That's what I would say do because. You can quickly get overwhelmed with, am I going to do wholesaling? Am I going to do yeah. fix and flip? Am I going to do? So just right. focus on the one thing. Maybe it is wholesaling, but make that your only thing and devote three years to being the best at it. And if you hate it after three years, you can always do something else. That's that's my quick piece of advice is just specialize and stick to it and watch the success come.
0: Right. Guys, Mark has shared a lot of information. Um, I'm, I'll probably try and get him to come back so we can do a part two because I know it's so much that he has to uh, has to share and give. So but um, I, I advise you all to check Mark out. You know, he uh, just shared a lot of good content. I'm even go back and listen to the podcast myself. Actually, I talked to him just to get some more wisdom. So but I appreciate you, Mark, for being on the podcast and uh, thanks. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, we will see you on the next podcast. Thank you for listening to the Dive Into Real Estate Investing for
1: Newbies podcast at diveintorealestatefornewbies.com.